In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Some of you don't know though, but after college, I went to music school for a short time to study the organ. And in, during the spring of my first and only year, I was learning how to play the last movement of the Organ Symphony Number no. 4 by Charles-Marie Vidor. It's this huge work, and it's a piece that requires the constant use of playing octaves, stretching your hands out to play eight notes up the keyboard. Well, I loved this piece, and I was practicing a lot, practicing hours and hours every day, probably too much, because I ended up developing a horrible case of tendonitis. It got so bad that I could hardly move my hands at all and I had to stop playing for over a month. What I realized in that process was that my body was out of alignment. My hands weren't playing with good technique. I was straining my hands and wrists and being out of alignment cost me. Being out of alignment cost me the ability to learn this piece and it caused a huge strain on my own desire to further my music education. I eventually left the program. Being out of alignment can have all sorts of unintended effects. When we hear gospel readings like today, especially the, these, these that can be very repetitive, Jesus keeps going, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, and it's kind of very circular language that we hear over and over again, our minds and our ears might glaze over and we might not really be listening to what is being said at all. We have Thomas to thank today as our spiritual chiropractor, our first practitioner who puts us back into alignment. Thomas, the one who John later calls the twin, the one who doubts, the one who might be written into the story as a reflection of you and me. He's the guy that's asking the questions that nobody in the story asks every time. He's our gateway in some ways for our entrance. He's our invitation to enter into today's story. Lord, we do not know the way where you're going. How can we know the way? We're hearing this out of the mouth of a disciple who has been with Jesus now for at least two years, and he is emphatic that they are not at all understanding what Jesus is saying. They, as disciples, who know Jesus in the flesh, who share meals with Jesus, who learn from Jesus, who observe all of these signs and these miracles, they do not understand at all. Thomas points this out to us. I'd argue that he asked this on our behalf. This is how the Bible is a living document. We still get to ask questions that we want to ask, and sometimes, conveniently enough, those questions are written right there in the text. Thomas gets us all back on track, back into some type of alignment, because it's clear 
that the disciples are clearly way out of sync with Jesus. Now, this passage we hear today gets cut short most of the time. We hear it often at funerals, but it's a shorter version of it. Today, we have a longer version, and we get to hear Jesus unpacking a little bit more about what all of this means. Notice towards the end when he says this, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do even greater works than these. I'm gonna say that again. The one who believes in me will do greater works than I do, and in fact, greater works than these. Doing greater works than even Jesus himself has done. Who's ever thought about this? That Jesus invites us in such a full relationship, getting to know him and getting to know our loving creator that we are given the power and even more power to do greater works than Jesus himself did while he walked the face of the earth. Do we even believe this? Maybe sometimes, but often I think we probably feel either unworthy or out of sync or out of alignment in some way. Do we even believe this? In history, I know that some people did. Some people in history have believed this passage and they have acted on it. One thing that Jesus couldn't do during his lifetime was to end slavery as an institution. He couldn't do it. Jesus had no power to do so. But people like Bartolome de las Casas in Mexico in 1500s, people like William Wilberforce in England in the 1700s, and even people in the United States such as Moses Brown and the Rhode Island Quakers, Frederick Douglass, William Lloyd Garrison, Harriet Beecher Stowe, and many others who, through their faith, received the work of the church, and they interpreted it, and eventually came to the conclusion, in the words of the author Peter Gomes, that the biblical texts used to justify the enslavement of peoples were all historically conditioned. That is, they were ideas that were from their time, and they were thought to be acceptable and okay. But the reality is that they are overruled and superseded by the biblical principles of love and charity towards neighbors and enemies as exemplified in the teachings of Jesus. Even though the received tradition of the church, that the church had lived in a world where slavery was just a thing, for the first 1,500 years of Christianity, the calling of Jesus to do greater works than himself that he was able to do, it's the implicit invitation to us to do the hard work in our own day and age, to right the wrongs of what is contrary to the goodness of God in this place at this time. We may not realize this, but the church has always taught this. 
Our prayers, every time we have a baptism, every time we have a baptism, our prayers imply this in a big way. This entire Christian social justice movement through the centuries is embedded in the heart of this gospel. But for some reason, we have not seen the power. We have not yet seen the power and the potential that is ready and waiting for each and every one of us. It's right here, right before our eyes. Maybe that's where alignment comes in. If our eyes don't see it, Are they out of alignment? Lord knows mine are. I'm so nearsighted I can't see anything without my contacts. But really, the fact is that the more we are called, the more we are called to be tuned into God and to the purposes of God, the better we're going to see how God gives us absolutely everything we need when we need it, to literally perform miracles. Miracles for a world that needs us. To offer us a new window into the kingdom of God, to open a new door of opportunity for people on the margin, or to open the doors of our hearts to include and embrace and love. Love, love one another in a way that only God teaches us how to love one another but we have to align ourselves with God's purposes for this work. It isn't easy work. It may take our whole lifetime to achieve even a small portion of what we're setting out to do, but we are absolutely not alone. Jesus has assured us that whenever we are in the alignment of God's heart, we may ask for whatever we need and God will hear our prayers and God will give us what we need, whatever we need. The wisdom to solve the issues of gun violence, a spirit of new ideas to conquer this age-old problem of a broken immigration system. The grace to forgive even the most egregious offenders in our society. Gentleness, gentleness to give real integrity and maybe even gravitas to our intentions. The patience to listen to those with whom we disagree. The peace to establish a new world order. And most importantly, the love that we need to love God with, the love that we need to love God with every fiber of our being and the ability to love absolutely everyone as we love ourselves. And if we don't love ourselves very much, well, love for that too. Today, we listen to Thomas, our spiritual chiropractor. We see how we ask the same questions he does, and we step into a realm where we ask God the same questions. How can we know the way? Show us the way. Help us align ourselves, O God, to you. And as we ask, like Jesus tells us to ask, God tells us, yes. God tells us, yes, and gives us everything we need, including the power 
to do more, greater things than even Jesus did. Amen.